You're listening to the Kingdom Project Podcast. These are discussions on biblical theology and interpretation. The emphasis is on context and grace. The goal is to promote biblical literacy by displacing and debunking most modern interpretations. The challenge is to engage in healthy conversation that may stretch, but sharpen iron. This is The Kingdom Project, and I'm your host, Marcus Hall. Alright, so we're making our way in uh, Romans 9, which is uh, 9, 10, and 11. This is uh, Paul's defense. Um, There's a fancy word for it, but defense is what it means. Since Paul's defense, he's defending God's covenant faithfulness. And there's all these questions that were going to arise and arguments um, that to be had. He anticipated those, and that's we're going to be uh, well. We've already started to look at that, and um, you know, I said last week where it was like dealing with this and uh, studying it for so long. I was like, well, he's talking about Israel, and then it's like, no, it's individuals, and then now I'm back to like, well, it's Israel, but it's also with individuals. It's both. <laughs> And it's hard. It's they're they're very debated uh, uh, when it comes to election and individual uh, salvation or nations versus uh, in, individuals and all that. And it's it's really debated, um, and and has been forever. Um, they're hard texts. They're really hard texts to deal with. So uh, trying to deal with it in the best way that I can, uh, and hopefully it'll be. Uh, I won't confuse you if you're already familiar with these. Um, And also, uh, just uh, hopefully I don't get, like I'm ping-ponging back and forth. I think I've taken a mixture of the two, huh? (laughs) Taking the, uh, probably, because I've looked at both sides of the argument, and it's like, well, that makes sense there on this side. And then it's like, okay, when well, that doesn't make sense, and, and but this makes sense, and then that doesn't, and just sort of put them together. <laughs> so we'll just see. We'll see how it goes. So just, uh, I guess I'm saying give me grace here on these. <laughs> so there's these questions, these arguments, and, of course, with this, what he's dealing with, uh, like uh, two weeks ago I said, remember that he was talking about Israel and these, these questions and God's faithfulness and the covenant and all that would be, uh, what about the Jews, right? They had this covenant with God. They were his chosen people. Are they just now set aside? Are they forgotten? Are they uh, no good or what? Hasn't God been unfaithful to his covenant when it comes uh, to them? Did God fail? And if, he, and if he has, then how can we trust him, right? So, Paul began by assuring his critics of his own burden for his kingsman's salvation, as we saw last week. And then he makes this premise that it's not as though the word of God has failed, for they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel, which we've seen last week. So that is because many, if not most, of those Jewish from Jewish descent were not believers, that didn't mean that didn't mean in any way or in any way diminish the promises of God to Israel. So he uh, he points that out, and then because 
that statement, for they are not all Israel who descended from Israel. It's racial, ethnic heritage does not equate to being a child of God, which we, we should know. <clears throat> but they, they didn't know, and they're trying to argue that. So he, he illustrates this by God's choice of Isaac over Ishmael. He gives greater detail in that of Jacob over Esau, showing that God made his choice um, over those two. And he had made his choice before they had done anything, before they had done good or evil, so that his choice concerning uh, election would stand in that big word, election. So it, isn't it then, uh, people would say, isn't it that unfair that God loved one and not the other, right? And that brings us to verse 14 where we start today. And, and this is the, uh, the objector's response to Paul's teachings from 6 through 13. So in verse 14, he says, What shall we say then? There is no injustice with God, is there? May it never be. And of course, this is a very Apostle Paul, like, may it never be, or like, no. Like, and so, you know, when he, he asks these questions and then says no. So when it comes to deciding justice, when it comes to deciding mercy, the accused always feels as if they know better than the accuser or than the judge, right? What the proper judgment should be. But the opposite is true. We should know this. So Paul says emphatically that God is never unjust. And Paul doesn't retreat from his earlier teachings at all. He simply denies that the reality of God's selectivity suggests that he is uh, unjust. Did I say that right? Yeah, he denied it. In other words, he is both selective and, and with his mercy and just in doing so. So Paul, he doesn't launch in, into a great legal debate here. He, he quotes scripture. And so the Jews would have had trouble arguing with their own scripture. And here's the principle, verse 15. For he, for he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So in explaining his ways of dealing with his people, the Lord told Moses, and this is, goes back to the Exodus, right? In Exodus 33, that he, he decides who, he will have, who will receive mercy. And you could paraphrase that God says he will have mercy and show compassion to those whom he chooses. Now, God is God, right? He's absolutely free to bestow his mercy on whomever he chooses. He is not one bit guilty of injustice if he were to withhold it from any or all of humanity. We're all sinners, we know this, and since we're all sinners, we would all deserve wrath. None of us can claim the right to mercy. Therefore, none of us is actually wronged. None of us is wronged if mercy is withheld. So, Paul summarizes God's statement in 16 with uh, this important principle, and he says, he says it does not depend on a man's will. It does not depend on his works, but it depends on God's choice. Verse 16. So then, it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. All right, so then it, right, the it in this statement refers back to 15. So he's saying the choice, the choice of salvation does not depend on the will 
or the efforts of man. If you call it election or salvation, however you would like to put it, it's not a base based upon what you do. And then it says wills, a man wills or runs, which is running. It, this is referring to human effort. So God's mercy cannot be chosen. It cannot be earned. And it comes when God determines to extend it to the individual. Now, some will have a hard time hearing that. If that's not hard enough to swallow already, Paul presses us even harder with an example from Exodus in the next verse in 17. He says, For the scriptures say to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I raised you up, to demonstrate my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. All right, so to Moses, God exercised his mercy. And towards Pharaoh, he exercised his justice. God was just in both cases, and God used both men to further his purposes, right? And it said God raised up Moses to be a deliverer of his people, which was a type of Messiah to come. And God raised up Pharaoh to display his great power and to, to proclaim his glory. Now, it's true in these art. Now, we have this issue because people say, well, does that mean he was just created just for this? Right. And uh, I, I don't have those answers. That's for you. <laughs> I'm not I'm not going into that because people will say it was, you know, raised you. What is raised you up mean? It means cho he chose him. But we also know if you were to go and read this account in Exodus, Right, Pharaoh resists the will of God through his own stubbornness and his own sinfulness at first and disobedient will. And the scripture says that his heart was hard against God before God hardens his heart, which we get to in a moment. So through and that's because of these plagues that were coming and God demonstrating his might and his power, which further hardens his heart. So Pharaoh is an example of both God's mercy and his hardening. Because God is merciful to Pharaoh up to a point. He doesn't just wipe Egypt out immediately. I think this is where we can miss parts of this in, in these examples. God could have just said, no, nope, I'm taking my people out of there. Wipe them out. Be done with it. He's merciful in that he, he, puts, he puts up with them for a while, I guess you could say. He, instead of just going in uh, and doing, doing what he could, have, could do, he warns Pharaoh. He warns Pharaoh of the plagues. And he also, as I mentioned later, hardens uh, Pharaoh's heart as well, even further. So Pharaoh was used by God to display his power in his name. In verse 18 is the conclusion. It says, so then he has mercy on whom he desires, and he hardens whom he desires. So God gives mercy to the elect by working faith in their hearts. He gives justice to the sinners, um, or there's words that we use called reprobate by hardening, hardening them further in their sins. Now, they're already born a sinner. They're, sin, they're, they're sinning. They're in sin. They're uh, against God already. He further hardens their hearts against them. 
Does that make sense? One group receives mercy, the other receives justice. No one is a victim of injustice, which is the main questions here. So Paul expected us to respond, or them to respond to his teaching by saying, well, then why doesn't God just save everybody then and have mercy on every single person and everyone's saved? Right? And why, why condemn those? Why, why condemn Pharaoh? Why condemn the, um, the sinners? And, and just on one, on one group and then uh, give mercy to another group. And Paul says, you will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who resists his will? So as I, I, made, I made that point about Pharaoh because here the questioner has no interest in whether God has dealt with, justly with Pharaoh. They just look at he hardened Pharaoh, and I'll have mercy on who I have mercy and condemn who I'll condemn. They're not, you don't go back. A lot of people don't go back and look at the whole story and then go, well, he, he did deal just, justly with Pharaoh. The, 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 the questioner sees rather the point that Paul is making uh, with regard to ethnic Israel. So again, we're back to Israel in the first century and the covenants of Israel that God's not unjust, that's verse 14, and choosing Gentiles who have faith as opposed to Jews who try to keep the law because God has mercy on, on whom he wants to have mercy and hardens whom he wants to harden, verse 18. So if God wants to have mercy on those who come to him in faith and harden those who do not, regardless of their ethnicity or their, their adherence to the law, then he can do so. That's his business because he is God, right? Paul's point regarding Pharaoh is not that God had mercy on, on, and on Moses and it's not that, not that God had mercy on Moses and reprobate Pharaoh. Sorry, I, stopped, I, I paused to, to think. Which it would easily fall in line with Jewish self-understanding. Rather, his point is that God has the right sovereignty to set the criteria on which he will have mercy or harden. Okay? So Paul's really calling us out in these statements. He's calling us out for our arrogance. He's calling us out for unbelief in the face of God's revealed word. Okay? So we have... We have all of Scripture, and it's a very, a very big point you still have to make today. Let Scripture interpret Scripture, and you have questions about verses, and if we know he's, he's recalling events that's happened in history, and this is the Exodus event, we can go back, spend all that time in Exodus, re look, reread, relearn that story, and examine it in light of what he's talking about here, right? Uh, we, we can just simply hear these lines and be like, well, that's not right. Well, that's not fair. And I don't believe that and all these things, right? And we already saw it's who God chooses. It's nothing. It's not what man wills. But we are so concerned today uh, about our free will, how we choose, how we want to, to come before God, that it seems like some of, the, some of these verses don't even exist in the church today. 
because I chose God. I came to him when I, I'll go when I'm ready. I'll do these things. God chooses you. He extends that faith to you. Then you come. But we have too much pride. So there's pride. There's arrogance. There's unbelief in there as well. And so Paul's calling people out like that. Who are we to doubt God's word? That's what it is. It's a saying. God didn't have to reveal this truth to us. Yet in his mercy and in his kindness, he's, he's graciously given it to us. Yet we dare, when I say we, we it's just general. He was saying it to them in this. Why do you, you know, uh, why, why does he still find fault? And Paul's getting ready to say, yet we dare stand in judgment of him and refuse to accept what he has given us unless God first satisfied our doubts and our critiques of him, right? That's how we act. We have as much worth and importance in comparison to God as a lump of clay has to a potter, and that's what he gets to. And that's what we'll be getting into. We're not going to go all the way into that, but that's where we go here. 20. On the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this, will it? No. He, Paul is answers, answers the anticipated objection by quoting what God said in response to a similar complaint that was made by Israel, which is found in Isaiah, in Isaiah's prophecy. Now, clearly Israel is in view here as the molded. Israel had no rights to criticize God for shaping her for a particular purpose of his choosing. Really, Israel had nothing to complain about since God had formed her for an honorable use, right? And the same is true for us. Man is as, as, is as far from comprehending the mind of omniscient God as clay is from comprehending the mind of the potter. Really. And some, some are made, some of these, these uh, pots are, are made to be used as bowls for food, and then some pots are called toilets. Right? <laughs> now, it... it, it it gets tricky there because, well, God's making some for, for good, some for bad. Well, let's just keep going and see. Paul gives us this analogy, and it's from the Hebrew Scripture, that, all, that, that, that the, the absurdity here when he says, or does not the potter have a right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for common use, right? We're dirt, we exist to be molded by our creator who is God and clay's only purpose is to be shaped by a greater power into something that's useful to the potter. Verse 22. What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? So Paul's argument emphasizes that the only thing that is not fair or just is that God has actually acted in mercy. <laughs> now, on a side note here, and I, I started with this, but I, just to repeat, I said last week, I said at first I believed it was dealing with Israel. Then the more I studied, I see, uh, saw individuals. And now I see both again. 
Because here he is addressing Israel. And we know what's going to happen here. This is this transition period that, hey, you guys are to come to uh, God now through faith in Christ. And he had, had, had molded them for honorable use, and they reject Messiah. And their temple and their town are destroyed in 70 AD. This is a wrath that is to come. The reason, like I said, like in seeing both is he stated not all are Israel. And we learn who true Israel is and that that's Christ and that's and who places faith in him. So we know Jews rejected Messiah. Many held on to being descendants of Abraham. Many held on to that Mosaic covenant to the law the rituals, the temple, all of these things. So couldn't these questions be asked coming from the Jew, not believing the gospel and trying to prove that Paul's a fraud? And still, while that could be the case, it's still dealing with individuals throughout history, including us, right? I think that makes sense. I hope it does to you. If not, let me know. Paul essentially tells the Jews that God is going to deal with them based on their repentance, as he has always said he would. Now it's through faith in Christ. The clay then in the context could be Israel, which does not feel its need to come to Christ, but it also it's the individual that feels the same. The questioner who believes that Israel should be saved because of its ethnic descent, because of the covenants and the chosen uh, and all that stuff, is reminded that repentance has always been required for God's salvation along with faith. All right? The gospel did not, of Jesus didn't ex exist when Abraham was around, yet Abraham was counted, his faith was counted as righteousness, Right? And so this, this is even for the Jew. The image is that the clay blaming its position on the potter, right? It, that's what the image is. It, it's, they're, they're blaming the, the position of the potter, potter rather than humbly asking to be made anew. Which happens to us. We can be made anew, born again, right? Faith in Christ. So the offense here is that Israel which would have thought of itself as the pottery for a noble service in comparison to the rest of the world, to the Gentiles, right? Is being placed in the position of being the pottery for common use. And it's significant because in 2 Timothy 2, 20 and 21, Paul indicates that a person's choices determine to what kind of uses he will be, he, he, or he will be put. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and sil silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes. Some are, are for ignoble. Um, is that how you say that? Ignoble. <laughs> ignoble. Sorry, I misspelled it. But if a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. It seems like those go together. So maybe I'm right here. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm 50-50. This is that time where I'm going to tell you these are hard texts again. They're hard. They're very difficult. 
and they've been debated for hundreds of years. So if anything, hopefully I haven't confused you more. More importantly, I, if you want to understand these more, I pray and I hope that you search them out in scriptures for yourself as well. Don't just take my word for it. You know, uh, be a Berean and, and, and search these things out. See if what I'm saying is to be true. If you find out more information, let me know. <laughs> I'll gladly take it and discuss it with you guys. All right, and that's it for today. There's a lot of information in there. So any questions, comments, disagreements? 